Well, good morning and a welcome to all of you. Uh, we greet you in the name of Christ and welcome you all to uh, another year, uh, a new year, 2017. It, it's, uh, as you grow older, I don't know if it's perspective or what it is, it seems time goes faster and, and is more fleeting. It's perhaps because of the years that we've seen, how fast, how rapidly they go, and it just seems fleeting. The past year has been marked by a lot of changes for my wife and I in our life, personally. Uh, we've seen uh, some significant changes. Uh, we, this past year, we enjoyed our first grandchild. Some of those changes have been very joyful, and uh, we've also marked our 30th wedding anniversary this past year. But we've also seen some things that are on this sorrow. Over this past year, Mom passed away, and Dad had a stroke. So this year, for my wife and I, have had some, there's been significant changes. And I'm sure for many of you, there's also been changes. There's been engagements and uh, the ending of some terms of Bible, uh, Bible school. And this, past, and this, this coming year will be some more changes for some of you. For some of you, it'll be marriage, and for others, it'll be entering Bible school. It'll just be a continuing year of change, and, and as I considered all these changes, I, was, I, was, I spent a considerable amount of time, what I might share today that would be appropriate to step into a new year. And uh, I decided on the kibod of Jehovah. Now, some of you, that is Hebrew, for the glory of God. I decided I'd, I'd get a different name so that uh, some of you wouldn't be bored with the title. <laughs> but how appropriate it is this morning for us to consider the glory of God as we step into another year, a new year. To do that, I want to take you back to the obituary sections of the scriptures the part of the scriptures where we look at some of the lives that are now long deceased, and yet their lives still speak with a great deal of relevancy to us. Um, you have your Bibles turned to Second Chronicles chapter 26, or you're welcome to, to follow on the PowerPoint as well. We'll be reading this, and would you stand for the reading of the scriptures? Second Chronicles chapter 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years, of eight, 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. Sixteen-year-old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned for fifty and two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was also Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that was what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father, Amaziah, did. And he sought the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines, and broke down the walls of Gath, and the wall of Jebna, and the wall of Ashdod, and built the cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines, and against the Arabians that dwelled in Gerbal and the Mahunims. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah. 
and his name was spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he was strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. And he built towers in the deserts and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains. And in Carmel he, he loved husbandry. Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by the bands, according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the ruler, and under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. And the whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. And under, the hand of the, under their hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,000 and 500, that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared them throughout all the hosts, shields and spears and helmets and habergeons and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped. And, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah, and said unto him, It pertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for thou art trespassed, Neither shall be thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him and behold he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out thence and yea he himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house being a leopard, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jothan his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, today as we bow before you with humility, for you alone belongs all the glory and all the honor, the splendor, and the praise. There is no other God but you, for you alone are, are high and lifted up in splendor and, and radiance and beauty, and there is none other like thee. Only you are awesome. For you have created the heavens and the stars and the foundations of this earth, the mountains and the rivers. Thy works shout forth your glory, your power, your magnificence. Your creative hands are unlimited. You created each one of us 
in a marvelous way you knit us together. You are worthy of all of our worship, our adoration, and our praise. And Father, this morning, remove from us any hidden conceit, the need for applause, or a desperate need for credit. Father, today as we examine and consume your word, may our hearts be encouraged and burst forth with praise. For it is for this purpose all of us were created. And so bless us as we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, or this past year, past November, all of us had a chance to experience what is called a supermoon. It's the moon as it makes its elliptical revolution around the earth. It came to its nearest point November 14th and it was really close. It was 221,524 miles from the earth. But it was close. And it was actually the closest point in 68 years. But the specifics aren't what grabbed my attention. It was the morning that I got up, and as I went out at 3.30 in the morning, I started at 4 o'clock on my job. It was so bright. It was clear. You could see all the neighbors. It was, it was, it was splendid. It was there's just something that made you stop, and, and the stars were bright. It just caused you to stop and wonder how big our Creator is, God is. Now, I'm not trying to glamorize getting up at 3 or 30 in the morning at all, uh, but there's something about that, that's, that uh, the brightness, the light, that was just amazing. If you'll take time to uh, uh, look up the word glory, you'll, find, you'll read words like this in the dictionary. Words like splendor and magnificence and exaltation and honor and worshipful adoration. If you look up it in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word kabod, you'll find it means weighty or heavy. You see, God is heavy with, with power, with authority, with truth, heavy with grace. I thought of the words of the Apostle John as he wrote, In him was life, and the, light was the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I love the words in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and he says, we beheld his glory. Makes you wonder what the apostles got to see. It says the glory is of the only begotten Father. Jesus was heavy with truth, heavy with grace, heavy with light. There's other parts of Scripture that speak of this light. We find that in Exodus 40, verse 33, 
And it has to do with the children of Israel, Moses, and the finishing of the tabernacle. And it says in verse 33, meaning Moses, he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. In other words, the work of all those tradesmen, those craftsmen, those silversmiths, those goldsmiths, those artists was finished. And it was like they all took off their aprons and said, we're done. And yet there was something that was missing. There was something that was lacking. Verse 34 tells us what that is. It says, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Imagine what that must have looked like. A cloud descending from the very throne of God, brilliant with light, radiant, piercing the atmosphere, filling that place of worship, where there was the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims where their wings were almost touching it, and it says the presence of God filled the place. That finished it. You see, it was the Kabod Yehovah. It was the glory of the Lord. The tabernacle at that time became heavy with God's presence. Verse 35 says, And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord, notice this, filled the tabernacle. This morning when you came into this church house, before, before you came it was empty. And there was, there was no cloud and there was no heavy presence of God. And the reason is, is because God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. Not made with human hands. He dwells in people. People like you and I. And every Sunday when we come to worship, we bring God with us. And it is only when this church is filled with people, the people of God, is this building filled with the presence of God. And that's important for us to remember, especially as we grow, that God doesn't dwell in buildings, no matter how, how nice they look, or how elegant they are, or how great the architecture. God doesn't dwell in buildings. It's his people. Augustine realized this truth as he was faced in a, a, a really tough temptation. And he cried out to himself, Augustine, Augustine, dost thou not know that thou must carry God around with thee? That's how we are. Where you go, God goes. He dwells within you. What you touch, God touches. 
God has more to say on this light in, in Isaiah 42. It says in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God, the God of the Lord, He created the heavens and stretched them out, and He spread them forth the, the earth, and that which cometh out of it. And He giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. And then God introduces Himself. He says, I, the Lord. And I want you to notice the verbs in this verse. I call. I hold, I keep, I give. I have called thee in righteousness, I will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. God is speaking to the Jews. He's saying, I'm going to give you a light so you can be a channel of light. Never forget that. God does not give us light to keep it to ourselves. He gives me and you light, truth and grace, so we pass it, or we are a channel of truth and grace to pass it forward to someone else. We are to be like the moon. We are to reflect the light of God. So what does this light do? Well, he tells us. He says in verse 7, Verse 7, to open the blind eyes. Some of those are your co-workers, your friends, your family, your neighbors. Some of those are in distant lands. Those are people who have never been penetrated by the light of God or the gospel. It says, to bring out the prisoners from prison and to them that sit in the darkness out of the prison house. Those are God's x-rays of a human heart. The lost or the perishing. You see, God is saying, this is why I've called you. I'm keeping you, and this is why I've made a covenant you. This is why I give you the light. In fact, he says in the next verse, he reinforces it. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God is saying, this is my plan, this is my name, my power, my sovereignty, my light, my glory, I've given it to you, and nothing else is to sit up on the throne of your heart. I'm not going to share my glory with anything else, no idols or any graven images. This is why I've given you the light. Walter Chalmers Smith wrote, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. You see, to him belongs the glory. To him belongs the credit. To him belongs the praise. But how easy it is for us as vessels of light and vessels of glory to slowly become kind of smug and conceited. 
kind of think that we have one up on everybody else, especially when, uh, especially when uh, God blesses us. Oz Guinness writes about this in his book he calls The Call, and he writes this. The reverse side of calling is the temptation of conceit. All truth in a fallen world is vulnerable to distortion. In fact, each truth has its own foreseeable distortions, which are its shadow side. The closeness between calling and conceit is easy to see. After all, to be called is to hear God whisper three things to you in a hundred different intimate ways. You are chosen. You are gifted. You are special. Let those three things sink in any longer than the first precious moments and you inevitably will hear another voice, honeyed and smooth, yes. You are chosen. Mmm, you're gifted. Mmm, special. All too soon, if you are anything like most of us, you will find yourself saying in response to the devil's echo of God, to yourself, of course, never out loud, Mmm, I'm chosen. I'm gifted, and I really must be special. And before you know, the wonder of calling has grown into the horror of conceit. Then Oz goes on to give us a humorous example of how this works. He says, the temptation, however, is inescapable for as much as the Jews as it is for us. During World War II, Winston Churchill's governing coalition included the president of the Board of Trade, Sir Stafford Cripps later the socialist chancellor of the exchequer. Cripps was a teetotaler and a vegetarian, and in Churchill's eyes, somewhat crabbed in personality. I love how he says that. I suppose we could all recognize some people like that. His only concession to pleasure was smoking cigars. But Cripps renounced that habit too declaring to a wartime rally that he was giving up cigars as an example of sacrifice to the cause. To which Winston, leaning over to a colleague on the same platform, whispered, too bad, it was his last contact with humanity. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how as Christians we can be the same way? Once God blesses us, it seems we can lose touch with our own humanity and with the humanity of others. It continues to be his light, his glory, his grace. And may God help us never to forget that. Uh, keep us from conceit, being arrogant, and uh, being individuals God, uh, people can't relate to. Well, all, there's an example of a man who did forget. And, of course, this morning, all of you know that that man is King Uzziah because of the scripture reading. It says in verse 3 that he was 16 when he becomes king. 
uh, the age that most of teenagers are just learning how to keep a car on the road, King Uzziah was running a government. Uh, I want you parents, most of you parents who have children, imagine how your 16-year-old would do running the government. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that most of you are grateful that option wasn't open <laughs> or available. But uh, Uzziah was amazing. In fact, for 52 years he ruled, until he was 68 he ruled. And he was solid. He was somebody that people looked up to. He was a man that was respected, admired, and quoted. Verse 4 tells us he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Isaiah had integrity, even as a young man. Verse 5 says he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. I want you to consider that Uzziah thirsted for God. He sought God. That's an that's a, that's a amazing testimony for a young man. And God made him successful. God blessed him. Wealth came Uzziah's way. I mean, uh, he became very wealthy. And if that wasn't enough, he went to war against the Philistines. Verse 7 says... And God helped him against the Philistines. Uzziah became a war hero. He was a commander-in-chief who had earned his stripes. Everybody saluted Uzziah. He whipped everybody, the Philistines, the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Termites. Verse 8 tells us the Ammonites gave tribute. Uzziah didn't have to print money because he, he was paid taxes. He collected taxes from the Ammonites. Uzziah was wealthy. If that wasn't enough, the list doesn't stop. Uzziah was also created. He was a builder. Verse 9 tells us he built towers on the walls at Jerusalem. He fortified the city. I mean, this guy was smart. He understood the need for walls. The list continues. He's also into farming. Verse 10. He built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, and husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. The word husbandry just means soil. Here was a guy who had a green thumb. He loved putting on his bib overalls and going out and sticking his hands in the dirt. He loved doing it. If this guy had a John Deere, he'd have been on it. He loved farming. I mean, this, he had it all. He had money, he had power, he had plenty of resources, but the list continues. Verse 13 tells us, shows us his army. 307,000 men. Amazing. Verse 15 tells us, he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be put on the towers and up all the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. 
Uzziah knew something about administration. He knew how to put things together that worked. His name was spread far abroad. Uzziah was a household name. If there had been a Forbes list, he would have made it before Warren Buffett was there. And if there had been a Times magazine, Uzziah would have made the front cover. Here was a man who had achieved amazing success. And he was at the zenith of his career, and it says, God says he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And then we read the words, but. Sometimes in Scripture, it's just good to pause for a moment and allow those words to sink in. But. But. Verse 16 says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord. It looks as though something just snapped in Uzziah. Just, he was doing so well, and all of a sudden something just snaps. And all of a sudden he just does something that's so stupid and so crazy. That's seldom how sin works. See, it usually begins with a slow, silent, Erosion. Ignoring what we know is right. Forgetting that we are called to reflect light. Uh, sin can be so incredibly seductive and so insanely deceptive. You see, sin helps us by the lie that the, the success we enjoy we achieved on our own. And like Isaiah, we forget that we have been marvelously helped. And sin makes us forget God's clear warning that his glory he won't share with another. His praise isn't for some idol, including ourselves. The other thing that sin does is it gives us a severe case of amnesia that he calls... He keeps, he holds, and he gives. See, we're never told exactly what made Uzziah change, but we have God's x-ray on it. God's x-ray says his heart was lifted up. You see, sin and humility never walk together. I loved how Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says, the only real argument against the word of God is an unholy life. When a man argues against the word of God, follow him home and see if you cannot discover the reason for his enmity against the word of God. It always lies in some sort of sin. Uzziah goes into the temple to burn incense into the Lord. But generals don't burn incense. Priests do. 
Farmers don't burn incense. Priests do. And kings don't burn incense. Priests do. Uzziah was going to do what he wanted to do. Verse 17 says, And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of, of the Lord that were valiant men. Does that give you any idea how determined Uzziah was to do uh, to have his own way? 81 priests to withstand this determined man. And verse 18 says, And they withstood Uzziah the king, and they said unto him, It pertaineth not to the Uzziah to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests of the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, and neither shall it be thine honor from the Lord. They told him to get out. It's not your job to burn incense. Can you imagine the guts and the gumption it took to stand against a man that a popular king like this, 81 valiant men. You know what Isaiah's response was? Scripture tells us. Then Uzziah was wroth. Uzziah was enraged that someone would have the gumption to stand against him what he wanted to do. How dare you tell me what to do? Those are the words of a man who's forgotten who he is. What he's been given. And a man on a collision course with God. You see, he claimed the glory of God for himself. That collision happens in verse 20. And it says, And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out hands. Yea, hastened, himself hastened also to God, because the Lord had smitten him. You see, Uzziah never realized who was in charge, that God was in charge. Until the skin on his forehead turned white. He didn't know it at the moment because he couldn't see it, but I'm sure he could see it in the eyes of the priests as they looked on him with horror. And it says King Uzziah was a leper, he was an outcast. I want you to notice that it says he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Those are sad words from a man who had experienced so much success and such blessing from God. Let me give you six ways that you can tell that you're on a collision course with God. First is this, when you crave things that are not yours to possess. 
Uzziah had no business being in that temple. He clearly transgressed against the Lord. That was not his job. Secondly, when position, power, and things mean more to you than the glory of God, when stuff is, is your pursuit, that's all you think about. Like a die, a life all becomes just about you. You know there's a cliff ahead. Thirdly, when you no longer need the Lord's help, you can do life without prayer, without a deep sense of dependence upon God. And uh, you no longer need the Word of God. The Word of God just, just becomes irrelevant. You know there's a cliff ahead. Fourth, when reproofs and warnings are resisted instead of respected. With that, I might add, there are some who have always had the gift of criticism, but check your heart to see if it's true. Fifth, when the consequences of sin no longer bring fear to your heart, you're on a collision course with God. And sixth, when you claim God's glory for your own. Never forget that you have personally and we corporally as a body have been marvelously helped by God. Alexander White writes, we hang very heavy weights on very thin wires. May we never forget the source of our strength and the reason for our growth and the one alone who deserves the glory. He alone, God deserves all the glory, all the credit, all the praise. Let's bow. Fathers, we bow before you. We, we recognize you as sovereign and supreme. And Lord, we pray that you might continually remind us about your plan, your glory, your gift, your son. You've called us to reflect the light. Our Lord Jesus. Father, we would pray you would help us to do the best we can do to be reflecting the light, reflecting Jesus. Father, we pray that you would keep us dependent. Keep our hearts humble. And may we be available for your service and your glory. For you alone deserve the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.